Hi, my name is Paul Shangwin. I'm the founder of a company called WildWeb. Having had the good fortune of working with an amazing client base of adventurous safari operators across southern and eastern Africa, I invite you to join me as I chat to them about their love for the people, places and wildlife of Africa. My relationship with the Manyoni Private Game Reserve started in 2000 when my dad introduced me to the then called Iklina Safari Lodge. It was one of the first websites we built. With its proximity to Durban, South Africa, we as a family have enjoyed many memorable moments with Shannon Dale, Wyatt and the whole Rhino River Lodge team. The Manyoni is a 23,000 hectare reserve owned by 17 dedicated landowners and provides some of the best populations of wildlife due to the lush carrying capacity of the KwaZulu-Natal bushveld. I hope you enjoy the show. Morning, Dale. Thanks so much for joining me on uh, this second attempt at a podcast. Um, how are you guys doing there in the Manyoni? Yeah, morning, Paul. Yeah, we we good. I mean, we obviously we grappling with the ramifications of you know COVID nineteen and the national lockdown. Um, but you know, we had some fantastic rain the last couple of days. The river's flowing this morning. I'm sitting looking at it right now, and it's flowing for the first time in probably three months. Um, so we're just trying to make the most of life in the bush. Dale, I was, uh, you know, I know you had listened to Joe's podcast that we did. And, um, yeah, amazing story, you know, how she started and how crazy it was in the bush in those days. But uh, I often think of you and Shannon as, as possibly a modern-day couple of, of, of having done w- what was a very typical uh, journey of a career, uh, becoming a safari lodge owner. And I know for you it started way back when you were still up in the Midlands, right, your interest in wildlife and all the rest. Yeah, very much so, Paul. You know, I'm, I think, one of those fortunate people on the planet that as long as I can remember, I knew, you know, what I wanted to do, and that was be in the bush. Um, obviously, didn't know exactly what I was going to do in the bush, but, you know, the idea or the romanticism around, you know, being a game ranger and, you know, riding horses and, you know, tracking lions and doing all the things that, you know, that game rangers did in the past is what sort of drew me to it. And I was I was really fortunate in that close to where I grew up, friends of ours had a had a game reserve. Um, and so from probably six or seven years old, I'd spend all my long weekends and school holidays and everything with them. And, you know, and sort of that's where I suppose my, you know, my passion for it was sort of fostered. Um, you know, and then obviously straight from, from school, I studied conservation and then and started my career working in the game reserves. And and what were you specifically doing there? I mean, what was your day-to-day job uh, like right from when you, you know, started working in the industry? Just, you know, I was, um, I was so I started off as a student. Um, it was my practical year placement for my, you know, for my diploma in conservation. Um, so I managed to get a volunteer position. You know, there weren't any paid positions available. So I worked for free for the first two years there in the park. Just, yeah, so I did, I did a bit of, well, you know, I started off obviously, 
you know, doing all the jobs that Nelson wanted to do, you know, so fixing mm. everything that was broken and driving <laughs> people around and, you know, sort of working all the long shifts and doing all yeah. the grotty jobs. Um, but after about, yeah, it's probably six months of doing that, um, I'm to move out to one of the, the management sections and worked under a section ranger. Um, and there's where I really started getting stuck into the sort of conservation side of things. So it was, you know, that was, you know, doing lion call-ups and black rhino monitoring mm. and anti-poaching and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, I suppose that I dreamt of as a little boy, you know, that's where I really started to get stuck into it. Um, yeah. You know, and I worked in the park for about uh, six years. I did, you know, various jobs. You know, I was a trails ranger on and off throughout my whole time there. I did sort of relief trails for the guys. Um, you know, so that was taking people out into the wilderness yeah. for, you know, sort of three or four nights at a time, which was an unbelievable experience. I've heard those walks are just yeah. amazing. Yeah. No, it's incredible, Paul. It was, it was very, very cool. You know, to be honest, I knew nothing about the sort of wilderness concept before I started working in Amphalosi. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, so doing those wilderness trails, it was, it was quite an eye-opening experience. You know, obviously I was lucky enough that it was before the, I suppose the electronic age really kicked in, you know, mm-hmm. so people weren't sort of addicted to cell phones and things like that. But we, the whole, the whole principle of those trails is that people had to leave, you know, anything connected to technology behind right down to their watches. And that wow. basically let the sort of the flow of nature, you know, dictate your, your day and your week. Um, mm-hmm. And it was an incredible experience, you know, watching people from town, um, yeah. You know, it's just as simple as taking their watch off. You could see people would be very antsy for mm. probably the first sort of two days or so. But after a while, you know, the rhythms of the wild would sort of kick in and, you know, and you'd see people start to relax. I remember when we used to go to Lake Reaver as a family as well, my dad also used to say, watch is off. <laughs> so you sort of fall in sync with the day. That's very true. On your rhino um, monitoring exercises, you you would head off into the bush on your own and monitor a rhino, and that could go on even through the night. Is that right? If I remember correctly. Yeah. So, so Paul, I did I did lion monitoring and I did black rhino monitoring. Um, the the lion monitoring was the stuff that would go through into the night. Um, wow. And there, I mean, there's a job I was really sort of thrown in the deep end. I mean, I was <laughs> I think, not quite 20 years old when I got that job or that position in the park. Um, mm. We There was genetic issues with the resident lions. So, so basically, we brought in new lions from other areas to try and sort of um, correct the, you know, the genetic problems. And my job was to keep track of all these new lions. Um, and then, you know, work out at the same time exactly what lions we had in the park. So the job entailed during the day tracking lions 90% of the time on my own. Um, you know, some of them were fitted with VHF collars, made actually locating the lions a bit easier, but it's still a big learning curve, you know, sort of walking on foot you know, after lions, you know, and as everyone knows, you know, lions are generally gregarious. So, so one might have a collar, but there can be five or six other lions <laughs> with it. So, you, you know, so you, you don't know where all the others are. Um, and I had some very interesting experiences. And then sort of into the night, we do lion call-ups, which is, you know, where we would, you know, we would basically bait a part of lions, you know, in different areas. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then when the lions would come in, we'd, you know, we'd dart them, we'd, you know, take samples, we'd microchip them. Um, you know, just to try and work out exactly what was going on with the population. So it was an absolutely incredible experience. It was really, really long days and long hours. Yeah. Um, but, you know, probably one of the highlights of my, of my career. It was a phenomenal year that I was doing that. You've got to grow in confidence being on foot and, and, and having those animals around you. Um, 
I remember once uh, we were doing a shoot and it was a baby rhino in front with its mom. And you were, you were saying to me, oh, Paul, just take a couple of shots like this. So I was like, fine. I was standing next to you and we were, we were taking them. And then the baby rhino decided to, got a bit inquisitive and started coming towards us. And now I'm getting really nervous. And you say to me, don't worry, Paul, just stand behind this tree. And this tree was a bush that came up to my head height. And uh, I couldn't understand how you felt that that tree was going to stop Mother Rhino from getting across to us. But sure enough, as they got close enough, you, you clapped and shoot them away, much to my relief. But uh, my shots were not that steady, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I do remember it. I think the look on your face when I, when I pointed out the tree that you were going to use as cover was priceless, Paul. <laughs> I think that's one of, the, one, of the, I think one of the best things about you know, working and living in the bush is that you know, sort of, there's, there's always an element of excitement. No matter how long you've been out here, you know, there's always something that will get your heart pumping. Yeah. You know, it's just, just those little moments that you know, really make you feel alive. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Until you're not alive. <laughs> <laughs> we, we think of, um, you know, eras of uh, just of, of safari operators and, and, and they've all had their challenges. And, 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 you know, a lot of them in the early days had very logistical challenges. And um, the logistics challenges of modern day safari operation, I think, are a lot easier in some parts. Um, but uh, you have had your own challenges uh, like every generation. And for me, and, and I, it, must be, it must be dealing with uh, rhino conservation and rhino poaching. It's been a, a massive, massive effort on you know, everybody involved and a very expensive effort. Um, how, how are you feeling about um, uh, rhino protection at the moment? And also, do you have concerns about it? Because I, I know that a lot of funding still comes from the tourism industry. And with the industry staring down, you know, a, a track of, of very subdued, uh, subdued income, uh, how are you feeling about uh, protecting these, these poor rhino? Um, yeah, Paul, like you say, I think that that is the – well, up until – uh, COVID-19, that's been, I think, the challenge of our time here in the game reserve. Um, you know, rhino poaching was always something that was, uh, was it's, as long as I've been involved in conservation, it's always been sort of a concern, but it's almost been an imaginary concern in, in, my, in my working sort of career up mm. until a few years ago when sort of reality hit home and we started losing animals. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's been a dramatic change in the way we do everything, unfortunately, in these reserves. You know, we, as a private reserve, we have to, obviously, we're completely self-funded. Mm. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the protection of our, of our rhinos and by default all other animals that sort of fall under the umbrella. But that's our, you know, it's our biggest monthly expense. Um, yeah. and, we, and we've had to ramp it up dramatically you know what we were doing you know 15 years ago is is very very different to the way we manage our you know sort of our runner protection and anti-poaching now um obviously yeah. i can't go into too many details mm. as to you know as to the measures we've put in place but mm. but it's it's a constant constant concern and it's a and it's an ever-present you know threat so it's it yeah. really has for us rangers um you know and law enforcement staff it's it's changed the way we the way we go about absolutely everything we do out here in the bush even the way we you know down to as far as how we recruit staff and everything it's just it's a constant constant concern and battle you know mm -hmm. one of the one of the um sort of 
bitter pills that we had to swallow was the the dehorning of our population of rhino. Um, yes. You know, we tried for the first few years of, you know, of the sort of runner poaching crisis, you know, we tried our best not to dehorn. We had, you know, obviously big internal discussions around it. And, you know, I was one of the people that was vehemently against the dehorning of the runner because for me it almost signified, you know, sort of admitting defeat on a level, mm-hmm. um, you know, but we got to a point where we were losing, we were losing more rhino in our game reserve than we're being born in our game reserve. You know, yeah. so essentially we, we just couldn't keep up with the onslaught. So dehorning was the only, the only sort of, um, sort of tool left in our toolbox that we hadn't tried. Um, and I remember very clearly the first rhino that we dehorned was actually a, a female, a female rhino that was, you know, was wounded in a poaching incident. Mm. And we, so in, during that poaching incident, you know, obviously she lost her calf. Um, the bull that she was with was killed and she was shot in the head and, you know, and wounded. Um, we knew because we'd found the calf that the mom, you know, had a problem and it took us about two weeks to find her. And eventually when we did find her, you know, she was nearly dead. You know, obviously she'd been shot, shot through the head and fortunately mm. it had missed her brain and her spine by millimeters um we managed to treat her and sort of and get her you know back um you know back to life i suppose but mm. because she'd been shot through the through the head half of her half of her face had been paralyzed so she was battling to eat obviously she's lost a lot of condition mm. so we fed her up i'm telling quite a long story here but we you know we, we fed her um on lucerne and cubes and things um you know for Probably about two years we had to feed her. But long story short, there were three poaching attempts on her. Um, and she, she still had a horn at the time, you know, obviously she had a really big horn. She was an old cow. Um, and there were three poaching attempts. And one of the attempts, the, the guys literally missed her by probably 20 meters. You know, they walked around, you know, close to the poaching, or well, the majority of our poaching in our area happens at night in the dark. Yeah. Um, but basically the guys walked one side of a bush and she was lying, you know, lying on the other side of the bush. And obviously we interpreted this from the tracks the following morning, but um, they just, just missed her. So we had no choice, you know, after the third attempt, you know, to dehorn her. And it's just, I remember, you know, cutting the, the horn off the first round in the park was such an emotional experience. You know, I had my wife and son with me um, and obviously a lot of other reserve staff, you know, and everyone was in tears because it just, it signified, yeah, uh, yeah, it signified you know the end of an era essentially. Yeah, um, the no longer the sort of the majestic beast that it was. Um, but that being said, you know we now we've dehorned our entire population, and when I go when I visit other reserves now that haven't dehorned their runners, I almost feel I almost feel sad to see a runner with a horn because I feel like it's just got this you know you know target sitting on the end of his nose. Yeah. Yeah, and aptly named Lucky is is the one we're talking about, Dale, the the rhino. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's correct. Lucky, the the famous Lucky the rhino, yeah. is named by named by Prince Harry. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Dale, uh, uh, you know, Sh- Shannon, she's done leopard studies and and all the rest. Yes, yeah, that's correct. So Shannon, yeah, Shannon's, you know, she's from America. Um, she's been out uh, in South Africa for probably twenty years now. Um, but yeah, so Shannon, Shannon studied, you know, biology. She's a researcher by 
trade. Um, you know, so we met, she was studying white rhino when I was doing black rhino work in, in Umphalozi, and that's, that's where we met. Um, and since then, she's done all sorts of research pro- uh, projects. You know, she's done, you know, some research on, you know, on the great apes. She's done wild dog research, leopard research. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, like all of us, you know, she's had to transition or find the balance between sort of her passion and the economics of, you know, of living in a, you know, in a wild space and trying to keep it funded, you know. So she's now, you know, very involved, you know, in running, you know, one of our camps. Um, you know, yeah. so she sort of transitioned out of the, you know, the research world, you know, you know sort of more into the hospitality business side of things. Um, but yeah, that's where we are at the moment. No, no, and what a fantastic job you guys have done. I mean, uh, uh, you know, coming out of uh, in really uh, turning Rhino River Lodge into a great mid-market safari experience and then finding another special little area on the bend of a river. Um, you and Shannon then had the opportunity to also be involved in Rhino Sands and enjoy conceptualizing and building a camp that, you know, was purely to your taste and Shannon's taste. And uh, what an amazing job. It's a small camp. I know, uh, I think they're five tents now, hey, Dale, is that right? No, it's just the four tents. So it's an eight-bed camp. Okay, so it's still only four and... um, and so very private, and you guys are living just uh, behind that property now. And I know you're splitting your time between the two. But, um, yeah, I mean, the night that you decided you were going to build a camp right there on the, on the bend of that river, uh, can you recall? I remember you saying you, you slept under a tree, and, and it was a fun, interesting night. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's true, Paul. Yeah, so when we were when we were trying to site the camp, you know, for Rana Sands, I mean, I think trying to find the right location was the biggest challenge. Um, and one of our goals was to try and fit the camp into the bush with without. We didn't want the structures to dominate the environment, so we basically were trying to find natural spaces within the forest it's where we could put the tents without having to cut any trees down or anything like that. You know, so I spent I can't tell you how many weeks worth of time months worth of time you know just walking in these forests sleeping in the forest um pacing things out you know trying to just trying to find you know the right space but basically the one the one just before we sort of we finalized things it was my it was my birthday at the time um so we decided to go camping and obviously the obvious place to camp was where we were wanting to put the where we were wanting to put the new lodge um, my little boy was about probably six months old at the time. He was a tiny little guy. It was his first camping trip, you know, out in the bush with us. And I had, you know, my sister and a few other people, you know, that came along. And basically, we picked one of my favorite spots. There's a big sausage tree, you know, on the bend of a river. Um, you know, there's a natural spring in the river, so there's permanent water. There's always lots and lots of game around. You know, it's a busy part of the game reserve. Um, so we picked a nice big sausage tree and we set up our camp. Um, uh, even, you know, I took a, an old porcelain toilet and made a, a makeshift loo in the, in the bush for all the, for all the ladies. Yeah, um, that's so still was, there, isn't it? Just camping. 
Yeah, it's still the toilet's still <laughs> sitting there. Uh, it's an icon, um, you know. So it was so it was camping in comfort. But anyway, so as the night went on, you know, we we started to hear some some runners sort of growling at each other during the night. You know, so the, when sort of males are making approaches on the you know on the cows, the cows can be quite obstreperous. Yeah. Um, and so this obviously this big cow was trying to push you know push a bull off, and so she's growling and squealing, and you know obviously the growling and squealing got a little bit closer and a little bit closer. So anyway, once it got to a point where it was obvious that they were coming our way, you know, so obviously I went and I was, you know, I shone my torch to try and work out where they were. And the one thing that I'd miscalculated in the placing of our camp was obviously there was a game path, which I hadn't seen, you know, coming from the, from the river, you know, literally straight towards, you know, our tent where our six month old boy was sleeping. So anyway, long story short, we had to sort of in the middle of the night, the runners got very, very raucous and came sort of barreling through the camp. We had to evacuate my little boy. Um, you know, we also got behind trees and luckily for us, the runners carried on going, managed to dodge all of our guy ropes and, um, you know, and sort of went through the camp, you know, so big excitement. My boy slept through the whole thing. He didn't wake up. Um, <laughs> we, managed, we put him back to bed and, you know, and carried on, uh, you know, as normal for the rest of the night. But, you know, that sausage tree is now the, the center point of our, of our main lodge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that sort of, you know, that, I think that experience that night and just the wildness of the space and all the rest of it, you know, it helped us, you know, decide that this is, this is the spot that, you know, that we want the lodge to be. So basically what we did is we built, uh, um, we built ourselves a, a tented camp on an amazing little bend in the river, um, you know, and aimed the whole experience at basically trying to create a genuine safari experience. You know, we call it sort of like um, sort of East African safari experience. And I know Shannon did so much work, you know, in choosing every little item for those tents and the canvas style and the tree that you you stuck it under. Um, and, uh, you know, especially like it was really great the way that you you built the property around the trees. Like I know, I know when I was chatting to the builder, uh, you know, just before the opening and uh, – he was saying how uh, you know how how really assertive you were in making sure that you built around the trees and the environment as opposed to cutting them down, um, and that's why it's so beautifully hewn into into the bush felt. And uh, yeah, you guys should be really proud. Um, such a pity that in its third you know or however long it is now you know years of operation we um, we, we we have to deal with uh, with with the year of COVID. I mean. Uh, but it's the world all over, and I, and I'm sure we'll we'll get through it somehow. Or other, um, what is lockdown like for you now, Dale, in, in in the reserve? I mean, you you wake up, you obviously got uh, you know your conservation aspects to take care of. Um, yo, I mean, what do you what, what's taking up most of your time now? Um, so Paul, it's been like, I think like the rest of the planet, it's, you know, there's been a big mental adjustment trying to get our heads around the reality. Um, you know, the, from a work point of view, obviously it's a little bit ironic, but I'm basically, my, my work has basically almost gone back to what it was in the beginning, which is why I got into the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, we don't have the hospitality businesses to run at the moment. Obviously we're keeping in, you know, our reservations and things going in the hope that we'll be able to trade in the future. But, you know, my day to day stuff is now, it's now game reserve work. Um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's spending a lot of time out in the bush. Um, it's spending, you know, a lot of time, obviously, you know, patrolling, um, you know, 
checking fences, you know, working with the anti-poaching teams. Um, and then just, yeah, just good old fashioned bush time. I mean, the one, the biggest advantage, I think, you know, that's, that's for me, that's coming out of this is obviously the amount of time I'm able to spend with my family out in the bush because I was an incredibly busy person, you know, before, you know, before coronavirus, um, you know, obviously trying to run the two lodges and the two staff complements and look after the game reserve components as well. Um, you know, so I didn't um, have that much time to, you know, to spend sort of good time in the bush with my son before because I was pulled all over the place, um, you know, as all other safari operators will understand. Um, whereas now, you know, we, I'm spending so much time with my, with my boy out in the bush. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, you and obviously we fall under essential services so I'm one of the lucky people that can still keep working and I, and I work somewhere where I don't see another human yeah. um, you know so my son is literally you know he's out, out with me patrolling fences and tracking rhinos and um, oh, catching tortoises and terrapins and legavans and you know, just having a great time Paul oh no, that is so awesome Dale uh, you know you've travelled a bit with Shannon too and uh, what are your favourite parts to travel in Southern Africa and internationally, if you if you had to name just a couple. Sure. Um, well, I think in Southern Africa, I would have to say my favorite park is Luandi National Park in Malawi. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Shannon and I have been all over the place. You know, we've you know done Botswana quite extensively, obviously loads in South Africa. Um, a little bit in Zambia and Malawi, but yeah, but Luandi is just an absolutely magnificent park, and it's just something I didn't expect to find in in Malawi. Now I was under the impression that uh, Malawian sort of wildlife had been largely decimated, but Luandi is absolutely teeming with game. It's one of the most impressive rivers I've ever ever seen, and just you know, completely different, you know, habitats. Um, and bush to what we to what we used to down in South Africa, um, so Luanda is absolutely my favourite. Um, internationally, I've spent a fair amount of time in a few different parks in or um, you know national parks in in the United States. Um, I would say Yosemite is definitely up there with my favourites. I haven't been to Yellowstone yet; it's on my on my bucket list. Yeah, but Yosemite is absolutely incredible. You know, I've I've spent a few days. Um, you know, backpacking through Yosemite, actually with one of my one of my mates, or he was my boss at the time, but he used to do wilderness trails with and work in Amphalosi with. Um, and he now lives in the States and we spent a bit of time, you know, traveling through Yosemite, which was absolutely mind-blowing. You know, just the sense of space and wilderness that you get out there is incredible. And Dale, just one other thing I wanted to ask you. I mean, we all have our favorite times of the year in in the places that we live and what what is your favorite time to be in the manioni just personally I, you know i know that you know a lot of people tend to come in dry seasons because the sightings seem to be um a lot easier but uh we you know just from your own sort of time to be in the bush which is your favorite and so i mean i love obviously yeah. All the seasons out here, you know, everything is, they're all great. And I think they'd be lucky that our seasons are all just the right length. So just as you've had enough of the heat, you know, it starts to cool down and you head into autumn. Mm -hmm. And just as you've had enough of the cold, you know, springtime arrives. But I think in terms of spending time in the bush, I think that spring is definitely my favorite, Paul. I mean, obviously our seasons mm -hmm. are 
um, you know, quite dramatic out here. You know, so our winters are unbelievably dry. Um, you know, everything yeah. sort of brown. A lot of the a lot of the trees lose their leaves, um, and you you almost can't imagine how green this place can be when we get rain. Yes. And with those first rains in spring, I mean, it's it looks like a, I mean, this place it looks it looks like a park. You know, you can yeah. imagine just short green grass absolutely everywhere. Um, I've always been a big reptile fan, and that's when all the little tortoises and you know and monitor lizards and snakes and things start to get going. A lot of your migrant birds come back. You know, a lot of your um, a lot of your mammal species. You know, have their have their young sort of in early spring. So definitely, I think spring is my favorite time. And I think particularly for internationals, it's a nice time as well because it, it hasn't really got too hot yet. Um, but it's not cold. You know, it's it's lovely, lovely sunny days every day. Um, also, the bush hasn't got too thick, you know, because all the trees are just starting to get their leaves. The grass is just starting to get growing, you know, mm-hmm. so your game viewing is is fantastic. And there's just, I think it's just such an energy, you know, once those first rains have, you know, come, you can you can just feel it everywhere in the bush. You can see it in the way the animals are moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a lovely time of the year. Oh, well, Dale, thanks so much, man. Uh, it was great talking to you. And, um, well, I know we talk all the time anyway, and we've got uh, our work set to set ahead of us to make sure that we can keep these lodges going um, when we're back uh, in trade, you know, and I know that it's a heck of a tough time, so good luck, And I, but at the same time, I suppose we've just got to accept that we, we're in lockdown and what a lovely time to spend with family and, and little Wyatt learning all he can learn from dad over this time is, is a gift all on its own, so yeah, Dale, good luck, lots of love to you guys there, and, and thanks so much, eh? Paul, thanks very much. Great to chat and we'll, we'll definitely be talking soon. Well, thanks so much, Dale, for taking the time to chatting to me. For those of you who are interested in Rhino River Lodge, Rhino Sands, the Manyoni Private Game Reserve, um, I will drop all the relevant website links in the show notes. Um, and please feel free to get hold of them should you be interested in doing the safari in Kwazulu Natal. And that's it for this week. Uh, Hope you all keep well and safe. Thanks for listening.